0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Romans? the first of the apostle paul's epistles Romans chapter 3 verse 1 this is our 10th in a series through the book of Romans and this week we will limit ourselves to the first two chap or the first two verses of this chapter in preparing to preach this week i was uh, reading through Romans chapter 3 and It was just very, very... It's always hard when you listen to this. It's very hard to figure out what the Apostle Paul was saying. So I was greatly encouraged when I began to study in the commentaries for today and to see somebody say that you can make a case that the next few verses of chapter 3 are the most difficult parts of Romans to understand. I think part of that is that the Apostle Paul is... Uh, not a classical guitarist. He's a rock and roll guitarist. If you think of words being notes. And so the Apostle Paul is on a riff. And some of the notes sound better than others. And sometimes you're wondering when he's quoting from another guitarist and stuff. And so what a lot of the commentators try to do is they try to say, is, is he actually in a debate with somebody and he's recorded what was said in the debate? And, that's, and is his debater saying this or is he saying... That's what you run into all through the next few verses of Romans. You're trying to figure out, is this the Apostle Paul saying what he agrees with, or is he quoting somebody disagreeing with him? So it's going to get complicated. Um, But this week, we've just peeled off two verses, because I wanted to just focus on these two verses, all right? So this is the Word of God, and it's eternally true, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. This is the word of the Lord. Now you'll notice that this section begins with the word then. It's an if-then construction. And so we want to look back at what the if was. Because then what? And so what caused that then to be said? Well. The Apostle Paul has just gotten done saying that circumcision does not assure me of salvation. And so the natural question is, if if circumcision doesn't assure me of salvation, then why be circumcised? If all Abraham's descendants are not saved from God's judgment, then why should I care if I am a descendant of Abraham? Because after all, it only brings greater judgment on me. Now, you always have to read Scripture thinking about the Old Testament Jews as being the church of the Old Testament with their own sacraments. That's the way to understand the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament are God's people. They're called the Jews. New Testament, we're called Christians. It's called the nation of Israel. It's called the church. In other words, there's, there are parallels between God's people in the Old Testament, God's people in the New Testament, how you come into God's people in the Old Testament, how you come into God's, the fact that God uses certain sacraments to mark you in the Old Testament, the fact that God uses sacraments to mark you in the New Testament. There are a lot of commonalities, all right? And so I want you to think this morning, and all through Romans, as he speaks to the Jews about circumcision, I always want you to think about the church and baptism. Because the church in the New Testament is a covenant, of God, And in the New Testament, God is pleased to work with the children of believers just as he is the old. He, he works in a different way, all right? But God still works with the children. And so today in this church, we have what we refer to as covenant children. Children of believers, children whose fathers love God. And so they're in worship this morning. These are church children. When you take a man in your church and he feels called to pastoral ministry and he goes into ministry, it's been the habit in in reform circles to refer to that man as a son of the church. And it's not saying that the church gave birth to him physically, but it is saying that the church has reproduced herself in this man and he is now the man who is going to be the shepherd when his shepherd dies, And so the church is just like any other household. We have to be concerned about the future. We have to raise up fathers and mothers for the church because the ones of us that are older are going to die soon. And so you, many of you here this morning, uh, are covenant children. You yourself are a second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh generation. Right? And some of you hold in your arms the infant's who are the next generation, and you yourselves, even though you're, you're young enough to be my children, you yourself have children now. And so in this situation, when they're saying, well then what good does it do to be circumcised, and what good is it to be a Jew? You need to think, what good is it to be baptized, and what good is it to be a member of a church? If every church member who has been baptized, whether as an infant or as a convert, is not saved, why bother with baptism and why bother with church membership? If what God cares about is baptism of the heart and not of the flesh, why bother with baptism at all? Why bother with church at all? Who cares about being a Jew? And who cares about being a member of Christ's church if these are just outward formalities? that separated from faith yield nothing eternally. Now, when I put it that way, all of a sudden we all have some skin in the game, don't we? Because all of us would rather not be members of a church and under its authority. And so when I started talking about, well, what's the point then of having to submit to elders if, if it's actually a hard issue? And so we set up a, a false opposition, a false battle, a false antithesis, between the physical ways God has chosen to work with us and the spiritual ways. And we say, well, if all that matters is spiritual, then forget the stupid physical. (laughs) You know, just forget it. And let me tell you, there are many days I wish we would. Right? Does that make sense to you? That uh, being a pastor is not always joy. You know, there, there, there's a lot of times that you wish that you could just be like a pastor to the nations. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like Paul Johnson's intellectuals, that you could have love for all mankind and not have to love any particular person. <laughs> but listen, who was it that ordained circumcision to be the rite of initiation into the church of the Old Testament? It was God. And who is it has ordained that baptism will be the rite of initiation into the church today? It's God. And both of them are physical. And the Lord's Supper is very physical. God does not have a battle between the physical sign and the spiritual reality. Do you understand this? Don't you go hiding your rebellion By acting as if you're just above this stuff. No, no, no. You're to be a member under the authority of the elders, and you're to have baptism, and you're to have the Lord's Supper, and none of them are worth anything without faith. And furthermore, now those of you who are younger, I want you to listen to this, Zion. Furthermore, if you are a child... Of Christian parents you better remember that without the spiritual faith it's not just that these signs, the Lord's table and baptism don't mean anything actually do you remember what he said he said you will be judged by the uncircumcised, in other words you will be judged by the children who have no Christian parents but have faith Anybody here who has grown up in a Christian home and turns their back on God comes under greater judgment than any pagan. And I remember being in high school and and, and soon after high school just, you know, wishing that I did not have the weight of being a covenant child. I did not want to have a conscience. It seemed like my friends were all able to sin in a way I wasn't able to sin. And it really bugged the snot out of me. You know, why couldn't I sin easily like they did and not wear the weight of the world? Why couldn't I just do da 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 you know? And it seemed like if I did da-da-da-da, it was like, oh, no! And it seemed like to them it was like, you know, eating strawberry shortcake. And that's because God has ordained it. That from the moment you are conceived, you wear the weight of the living God. You don't have the option of being a heathen. You're not a pagan. You are marked by the covenant because you were given birth to and you were conceived by covenant parents. And if you're adopted, the same thing is true. There are many, many children of the church who grow up to say, what good is it to be circumcised and what good is it to be a Jew? What good is it to be a Christian? It seems like all it's done is given me grief. I think a lot of our witnessing, what we call witnessing, is an attempt to remove the weight of Christianity from the people we're witnessing to. Don't worry, it's no big deal, you'll just have a better life. Well, how will it be better? Well, it'll be better because... Um, Well, it'll be better because if it isn't better, then we are of all men most pitiful. <laughs> it'll be better because then, um, hey, you want to go to Starbucks? <laughs> hey, let's 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 have a beer. Well, how's it going to be better? Well, do you really want to know? Yeah, I'm asking. Well, it would be better because then you'll know all your sin. But don't worry, I won't tell it to you, and I have a church where you can come and not hear about it. But there's a sneaky way the Holy Spirit works, and he'll work without human voice. And he'll convict you of sin, and that'll be better for you. Seriously? That'll be better for me? You know, that stupid document your church adopted on sexuality, and you know, you think you're better because you adopted. Well, no, no, it's not. No, we don't think we're better than anybody. No, we're not better. No, we're not really better, 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 better. We're just better. I mean, not. No, no, no. We're not better. But God's better. Oh, it's all about God. Yeah, it's everything. Yep, everything's always about God. Yep, 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 yep. Well, how are you better? Well, I'm better because my conscience is tender and I grieve when I open the Bible to see my sin. And I flee to Jesus I never stop fleeing to Jesus because every time I open the Bible, every time I go to church, every single time God speaks to me through the oracles that he has made me the protector of, I wear the weight of God's glory and holiness in my sin. And that's why it's better. Don't you get it? How many times do I have to tell you? (laughs) so what's the point of being a Jew what's the point of being circumcised what's the point of being a Christian what's the point of taking vows to submit to your elders what's the point of baptism what's the point of the Lord's Supper when all it does is it puts the weight of God's holiness on us and our own sinfulness what's the point You see this? And so the Apostle Paul, he hears your objections, he hears how you're thinking. You know, I can be done with this covenant child thing. I can be done with being a child of the church, you know? It's really kind of obnoxious. He hears you, and he says, okay, you're wondering this, okay? You're all with me. Okay, here's the answer. Now, what is the answer? Well, the Apostle Paul says, what is the benefit? Great in every respect, Now, the word great is not the word okay, or the word normal, or the word helpful. The word great is actually the word great. And he amplifies it by saying, in every respect. There must be a lot of ways it's great, and it's great in every way. Now, that's not the way many of you who are the children of mothers who point your sin out to you feel about being a member of a covenant family, of a Christian family. It really is undignified for your father to ask you to forgive him and you just wish he'd shut up. Right? What you want is a dignified father. And when your father cries because of his sin and we ask you to forgive him, it really is obnoxious. (laughs) Any of you been there? I've been there. Okay? It really is obnoxious when your mother is talking to you about sin and crying, isn't it? About your sin. It's really a pain when she asks God to save your soul. Mothers and fathers who are tremble before the holiness of God and plead for the souls of their children are embarrassing. And yet the Bible says that being a covenant child is great in every respect. Now listen, those of you who are young and who are children of members of this church need to understand that there is no pact of truce in this church. We are not interested in covering up your, your, your heart and not seeing if you hate God. We are not interested in hiding you when you decide that you're going to turn your back on the God that you have been taught to worship. There are many churches that will do this with you. There are many churches that will give you baptism in the Lord's Supper completely without respect to the condition of your heart and whether you, you yourself confess faith in Jesus. We will not do that. We will not do this in junior high school, even though your mother demands that the elders allow you to come to the Lord's table. We will say no to some of you. We will especially not do this when you get into high school and college and you begin dating an unbeliever. We will not do it. We will not treat the things of God which are holy as if they're indifferent matters. We will not conspire with you to fool everybody. We will try to put up on a billboard on Route 37, on I 69, the condition of your soul so that everybody knows that you're in play. And we will heighten the tension as high as we possibly can. And it's not because we're vindictive or mean or jealous or anything, but it's that we will not settle for your body and your kisses. We want your soul. We are God's people, and we will never, ever settle for your family relationships that are blood over your family relationships that are by the waters of baptism. We won't do it. Don't ever forget this. We are not interested in de-escalating the battle for you. (laughs) Okay? And it's not because we're mean. It's because we love you. And so, listen... If you say that it's been a pain to be raised by Christian parents because they're hypocrites, we won't comfort you in that complaint. We won't pity you. We won't treat you as a victim. We'll tell you that there's never been a child who hasn't been raised by a hypocrite. And then we will ask you, whom do you serve? Did you ever notice that about Jesus Every single time that Jesus deals with somebody, he goes for the heart. He's never satisfied for the, for the uh, proximity, <laughs> physical proximity, blood. He's never satisfied with any of that stuff. And so you ask, what, what's the point of being raised in a Christian home? And the answer is, hey, it's great in every, every respect. And you say, oh, yeah, it feels real great. We say, it's not about your feelings, it's about truth. And so as soon as he says that, great in every respect, he says, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. (laughs) So the principal benefit that there is to being raised a member of God's household, Old or New Testament, is that you have been entrusted with the words of God. Now, what way should I go? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and shall I take the path more traveled or less traveled? (laughs) Let's start with the word first, because the beginning is a very good place to start. Notice the word first. The word first would lead you to believe that what comes soon after is the word Second. And then after second, depending on how complicated it is, you'll get the word third. But if you're unaware of the content of this section of Romans, and you're like me, and you go looking for a second here, (laughs) you can just keep reading and reading, and you won't come up with one. All right? Now, why does the Apostle Paul say first, but he doesn't say second? I always tease Lisa because Lisa, and she'll tell you this isn't true, but it is true, okay? It is true. Lisa prefers Stephen Baker's preaching, okay? Why does Lisa prefer Stephen Baker's preaching? Well, it's the same same reason many of us prefer Alex McNeely. Because there are two kinds of preachers and teachers. <laughs> there's one kind who is orderly, and there's one kind who is a pig pen. <laughs> and when you look and listen to the guy that's orderly, you feel at the end of the sermon like you've actually gotten someplace. <laughs> I don't think anybody has ever left one of my sermons where at the end they go, "Whoa, oh, well, wow, I got someplace. <laughs> you know? Okay, but here's my plea. The Apostle Paul is, in this respect, I think I'm like him. Because the Apostle Paul says first, and then he never satisfies you. Because what he does is he just goes off on this riff, and it obliterates his progress. It just goes wacko, right? So here's, so if you read the commentaries, they all talk about what first means. Calvin says first here doesn't mean First, it means primary, but of course, Calvin is organized, and so he can't understand the Apostle Paul, you know, but I'm disorganized, I mean, my car's organized, but that's the concession I make to the rest of my life, or the way I try to bring order to the rest of my life. Okay, And here's the Apostle Paul saying first, and everybody argues over whether there's a second and where it is, and everybody throws their hands up and it says, no, the word first here doesn't mean first. It means principal, primary, most. All right, But here's the deal. The deal is that there actually is a second. And there actually is a third. But you have to go to chapter 9. He picks the theme up in chapter 9. So he, this is like, this is like DeVita, De you know? <laughs> it's just like on and 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 on. You know, the long version of light my fire, you know? It's on and on and on. And then finally, you go back to where you were. In verse, in chapter 9, verse 3, he says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, for I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So there you have the theme of the Jews. And then he says, who are Israelites, Jews, right? And then he says, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is overall all, God bless forever, amen. And so here we have, second, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, Third, the glory belongs to them. Fourth, the covenants belong to them. Fifth, the giving of the law belongs to them. Sixth, the temple service belongs to them. Seventh, the promises belong to them. Eighth, it was their fathers God called out and made his covenant with. Ninth, it was their fathers Jesus Christ descended from in the flesh. And tenth, this same Christ is overall God blessed forever. Amen. Amen. So there really is, if you listen and get used to the Apostle Paul, there really is very clear, but he goes on tangents that last forever. Some of his paragraphs are, you know, 20 lines long. Or I mean his sentences, not paragraphs. Sentences. So here we have him saying first. And if it's first, it is the most important thing. First of all, that they, he's referring to the Jews, those who are circumcised, were entrusted with the oracles of God. This word oracles simply means words. And so the Jews were entrusted with the words of God. what are the words of God? Well, if I ask you that and you don't think about it, immediately you'll say, well, clearly the prophets, because that was how you judged whether or not they were true prophets, was whether they spoke the words of God. And the way you knew whether or not they were the words of God, whether God had spoken them to them, is whether or not they came true. And if they spoke words that didn't come true, they were to be killed. That that was the That was the penalty in the Old Testament. So clearly the words of God's servant, the prophets, they're the words of God. Then you look at Moses coming down the mountain, and he has two tablets where God has written in stone. Alice just got done teaching on them. Clearly those are the words of God because God wrote them. Are the words of God less God's word because man writes them? Not one iota. Jesus said not a single what? Comma, apostrophe, possessive, not, a, not one tiniest mark that is written will pass away. And it's very clear that he's referring to what is written. We do not believe that it is the concepts behind the words that are inspired. That is false. Because, I mean, there are a whole bunch of reasons. Start with Jesus saying, jot and tittle. These are written marks. But start with, go on to the fact that you should be so suspicious of your own motivations, right? It's like, hey, okay, here's a preacher, right? I'm a preacher now. And I say, hey, hey, listen, we have a, a holy book. And you say, yes, every religion has a holy book. And I say, the good thing about our holy book is that everywhere you read, you can make a decision whether this was the man that was writing, that was speaking, or God that was speaking. Now, that's a holy book I like. You know, that's Jefferson's Bible. You know, you just cut it out, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. Or even better, I mean, that's a little bit brash. That's a little bit too in your face to actually, I mean, Thomas Jefferson cutting things out. We don't need to do that. What we'll do is, okay, listen everybody, we have a holy book. And the good thing about this holy book is it's not actually the words that are inspired, it's the concepts behind the words. And so you get to choose what the words mean. Really mean. And man, you can drive a Mack truck through that one. And that's a lot of what goes on. When the Apostle Paul warns against wrangling over words, you look at people. This woman, Carolyn Custis James. This woman is out completely out of control, completely rebellious, and she's just going all over the country telling women and men that the word Ezer, when it refers to God creating a helpmate for Eve, that the word Ezer means warrior. And she goes to all the Reformed seminaries and general assemblies, and oh, everybody just loves her because she has decided that really a woman shouldn't be a helpmate to her husband, but she should be a warrior standing next to him. Pew, pew. And it's like, was she watching every single movie and television show that there is today? You know? And we all watch them and we go, oh, please. Another five-foot-two woman that weighs 75 pounds whooping a six-foot-four man that weighs 350 pounds. Do I have to watch this again? <laughs> you know? And there's Carolyn Custis James. a like, it means warrior. Now, words have meaning. Words have meaning. Okay? And you don't have the right of deciding what the Holy Spirit was trying to say when he chose the word Ezer. Nor when he chose the word oracles of God. These are not written things of men. These are written things of God. That's what the text says. And so we don't play games with the text of Scripture. We don't do it. We submit to it. Okay? You can have your wife point out all she wants that what you meant by what you just said is different than what you said. You know, you can have arguments in marriage about the meaning of words and whether you meant this, that, and the other thing. But when it comes to Scripture, our job is to hear the words that God has written. They are God's words, the oracles of God. Now, having said that, would you notice the word that's used here, which is what? It says... They were what? They were entrusted. This is speaking about you. You have been entrusted with the words of God. You have been entrusted with them. Now why would God have to entrust his words to anybody? Well, because you have Carolyn Custis James. She's attacking the word Ezer. She is attacking the revelation of God concerning the nature of woman. Do you understand this? And it is your job to defend the word of God, the oracles of God, the words of God, the written things of God. It is your job to protect them and to make them new every generation. It's your job to take the words of God and apply them to your life and to the life of your loved ones in such a way that they can't escape their rebellion. That you Give them the words of God in such a way that all of a sudden it becomes very clear to them where they're a rebel and where they're in sin and where they are opposed to God. That's your job. It is the job of the church to confess the faith at the gap in the wall where the enemy is trying to destroy the rule of God. That's your job. You have been entrusted with the words of God. The very words of God. So that means you have to get good at being able to tell the difference between good and evil. You have to get good at discernment. Have you noticed that people have started referring to certain things on the internet as discernment blogs? And it's pejorative. Because everybody hates discernment. Why? Well, because then you have to be entrusted with the words of God. And when you're entrusted with something, you have an obligation to protect it, to be a good steward of it, right? If you hide it in the hole, what? Throw them out. Throw them out into outer darkness if you hide it in the hole. No, you're supposed to help the living word of God. It's active. It's sharp. You are supposed to sharpen it. It's already pretty sharp, right, if you read your Bible. But you are supposed to sharpen it precisely at the point where it has to cut against the grain of our culture. I am so tired of, of church men who think that it's to be a faithful pastor to dull the word of God at the point where the culture is being cut by it. You know, well, let's see. The Bible says that that... Eve was created second and so women shouldn't have authority. So I'm going to make, you know, this is Tim Keller, I'm going to make a woman the, the, the head deacon and I'm going to have them serve communion and I'm going to have them be officers of the church because that's where the culture doesn't understand the Bible and really doesn't like it. And if I just make a few little, you know, like uh, uh, Mary Ellen... You know, you were—if you weren't at the play, you don't know what I'm talking about. We had a play here the other night. Mariella was the baddie, right? And you know, you just cast a spell over people so they don't notice what God said, and they hear you instead. And what you say sounds a lot better than what God says, and then they'll become Christians because you've modulated God. It's just insanity. Have you ever become a Christian because God modulated his tone of voice to you? It's ludicrous. No. Generally, we don't want to worship somebody that's into modulation. You know? We want to worship God because he's bigger than we are and because he's holy. That's why we worship God. We don't worship the preacher. The preacher is a tool who, it, it's best to have uh, uh, a clothespin over your nose as you listen to him, so you don't have to smell his stink. But the words of God, oh man. Every time you open the Bible, it's so nice to be relegated. And it's precisely that point that you are to protect You are to protect the word of God where it's under attack. And you're to be zealous for that point. Who would who would defend his wife at the point where she is under no attack? What kind of an idiot would do that? What kind of an idiot would compromise with his next door neighbor who's hanging over the fence looking at his wife? Well, that's the point that we'll make compromises. But over here, we'll make a big show of erecting a fence with this neighbor who happens to be a widow who's 87. (laughs) Do you get my point? My point is we focus on the place where the attack comes on God's word. This is what we do because we are stewards of the treasures of God, the words of God. It's precisely the point that the world hates that is the evangelistic moment. Don't be ashamed of the Bible. These are the oracles of God. God's word doesn't fail him. I know it's scary because we want to think the only thing that matters is relationships. But relationships built on compromise and modulation are pathetic relationships. You know? When you get to the point that you stop fighting your wife, your marriage is over. Because you've both decided that it's not worth investing yourself anymore. And how on earth do you build a marriage without fighting? Come on. But I'm so tired. (laughs) You think you're tired? How about Frank and (laughs) Ann? I remember when my dad got older, I asked him one day, I said, Dad, how do you put up with Mud losing her keys and her, and her pocketbook? And everywhere she went, she was losing things. And I just, I just wondered how he put up with it. It drove me crazy, and I was just her son. And my dad was fastidious and meticulous. <laughs> and my dad looks at me and says, well, Tim, you get older. He says, there are, just, there are just some things it's just not worth getting excited about. And that was a good lesson for me. I haven't learned it, but I'm trying to. (laughs) First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. One more thing, and I'll end. Why are the oracles of God precious to us? Why are the oracles of God precious to us? The oracles of God are precious to us because every time we open the Bible, we're convicted of our sins. That's why the oracles of God are precious to us. To be entrusted with the oracles of God is to be entrusted with conviction of sin. And if we will not defend God's declaration of what sin is, and we have no faith to apply it to people, we are not faithful in being entrusted with the oracles of God. Because until we allow the word of God to to define our loved ones and our neighbors as they really are, which is desperate sinners desperate, they will never come to Jesus. Never. It is impossible to come to Jesus without coming through the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so the oracles of God are the conviction of sin through the law of God. And they're the proclamation that God is a God who saves the unrighteous. It shows you you're unrighteous, and it shows you that God saves the unrighteous. You can't be convinced that God saves the unrighteous if you think you're self righteous. It's not until you give up on your own righteousness that you will run to Jesus and learn that God saves the unrighteous. And listen, this is all the rest of the book of Romans is. It's this theme over and over and over and over again. Every single hiding place that you try to find to escape the humility of going to God with nothing. The Apostle Paul is going to rob you of precisely, perfectly, he is not going to allow you to have good thoughts of yourself. And if you're the type of person that thinks that your mother didn't love you and so you have to spend the rest of your life having good thoughts of yourself and you have to surround yourself with people that will help you to escape your shame, there is no hope for you. Because every one of us deserves whatever shame we feel. I'm not saying that there isn't such a thing as false shame. That's not my point. But my point is, have you ever opened the Bible and read it without being ashamed? It's impossible to read the Bible without being ashamed. It's impossible. The only thing that's possible is to see your shame in Scripture and then to see all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's it. And that's all the Old Testament is saying, you should be ashamed of yourself. But all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord saves the ungodly. Okay? You have been entrusted with these two themes. You can't have the Lord's salvation without each of us is turned to his own way, without our righteousness is as filthy rags, without there is nothing good in them. And the Apostle Paul is going to go on and on and on and on about this. And it's the only thing that will help us to see ourselves as we are, it's the only thing that's going to get us out of our identity politics. <laughs> I'm a lesbian. Well, that's nothing, I'm black. Now I'm not equating homosexuality and race, but I am saying that identity politics is always looking for a place to stand to get a leg up on other people as a victim. You know, I, you know, I'm, you know, I I, I better shut up about this stuff. I'm just gonna get myself in trouble. Have you ever noticed something about the exchange that occurred when Jesus was calling his disciples and these men were going and reporting to each other um, what it is that they, that they had just experienced. Listen to this. This is John chapter 1, 45, right at the beginning when the disciples are coming to Jesus. And it says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, what? Do, you, do any of you know? Does anybody here know? What did he say? We have what? Huh? Does anybody know? It says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Isn't that something? That here, as the Lamb of God is revealed, the Jews say, we found Old and New Testament is the same. We're saved by the Lamb of God. And why are we saved? Because we are pieces of work. Your piece of work might be different than mine. It might be the same. We have been trusted with the oracles of God, and what they do is they say, you are a piece of work. All of us are pieces of work. And the Lord saves the ungodly through Jesus Christ. And so the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And the whole New Testament is pointing to Jesus. And the only thing different between the Old and New Testament is one's pointing forward and the other was pointing back and forward. Okay? Okay, let's observe the Lord's Supper as our Lord commanded.